0: Some people will tell you that category design should be reserved for companies with giant coffers of venture capital, or at least for big software companies with a huge TAM. But that's simply just not true. Even a service agency that can identify a change in context, identify a missing, and fill that missing with an innovation can design and dominate. Their own category. And that is the story of Sweetfish Media and their founder and CEO, James Carberry. Welcome to the Category Thinkers Podcast, a feature of the Category Thinkers community. And while other category design content streams will focus on success cases and frameworks, we focus on showing you the messy middle. The doing of category design. And that's why we had James come on. James is not only the category king of B2B podcasting, but his agency, Sweetfish Media, is in the middle of a brand new category design, that of the owned media service provider category. So in this discussion, you're going to find out how Sweetfish became the category king of B2B podcasting, why they have decided to pivot and actively design a new category and what they're doing about it. This is a conversation between James and one of our co-founders, John Ruggie, who have been good friends for a long time. You can tell they have a great relationship, so there is plenty of gold here. And speaking of gold, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, Category Design Advisors, whom you can visit at categorydesignadvisors.com and book A free office hour session where they can give you some category design advice. I recently attended one of their workshops in New York City. And uh, man, if I was a company trying to figure out how to align around a category and come up with a point of view, I would absolutely go to categorydesignadvisors.com and book one of their free office hour sessions. Our other sponsor is my company, BeTheStage.live. We produce the podcast and the live events that we do here at the Category Thinkers community. And if you are looking to hire an agency that can help you create community through content, driven by a point of view and a category design, go to bethestage.live and hop on my calendar. I'd love to talk to you. But more than anything, we'd love for you to go to categorythinkers.com, join the free community, stop just listening to this podcast and become a part of the live events and a part of the conversation. You can do that by going to categorythinkers.com. And now, a personal hero of mine, James Carberry, speaking with John Ruggie.
1: One of the things I wanted to share before we get into the meat of the episode is you were actually the person who turned me
2: on to category design. Yeah. I remember uh, when you were getting out of the car, I forget what conference we were at.
1: It was in Salt Lake
2: City, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I remember dropping you off at your Airbnb or hotel or something and And finishing up, wrapping up our conversation, I'm like, man, you really need to focus on category design. Right.
1: And this was uh, like 2017, maybe 2018, somewhere in there. And I, I remember sitting down with you and I had, I just read a couple of books by Al Reese and Jack Trout where they introduced the idea of building category where you can be number one, which had never occurred to me. And yeah. I remember like sharing with you how excited I was about those books. And you said to me something like, Hey, if you really like that idea, you ought to check out this book. It's called play bigger, <laughs> go read it. And then I remember having a conversation with you like very shortly afterwards. And you said, John, I want you to start a category creation series on B2B growth. Yes. And at that point I had zero experience in category creation, <laughs> but you had <laughs> really more books. time. But you said, I read three books, So you said, I want you to go for it. And it made me a little, it was a good challenge because it was out of my comfort zone, but it was one of the best things that happened to me. He can't thank you enough for that.
2: That's awesome. But it's been a blast, man, seeing you get into the same ecosystem as Lockhead and Damp and all these guys that have been doing it for seemingly decades and hold your own with them. And so it's been exciting to watch that on LinkedIn and just even in our private conversations.
1: Yeah, thanks. And it's been fun to, to follow your journey as well as you've built this category of B2B podcast production agencies and have gone through that evolution and thought about your strategy very intentionally through that process. So maybe to start things off, walk us through your journey into the business you have now sweet Sweetfish yeah. and share what you can about your your category thinking through that process yeah. as well.
2: Yeah my the I had started a couple businesses prior to Sweetfish that one of them was a bootstrapped B2C technology company that we didn't raise any money and so it it floundered very quickly because trying to I've now tried to build a couple technology companies and it is just it, it is not for me. I I suck at it. Uh and started that had started some other things that just never got off the ground. Sweetfish was really the first thing that that i started that i was like oh this actually has some legs but so we started in 2015 and it started as a blog writing agency i had been doing some contract work for some people and just realizing that there was there was a big need for people tr that wa- understood the concept of inbound but but didn't wor- they just didn't have the time or didn't want to make the time to have internal resources create the content that would attract their buyers And so I I just got really fascinated by this idea of not having to cold call and being able to just create content that would bring your ideal buyers to you. And so we started as a blog writing agency, did that for about a year. And it was around a year in is when I realized that I just didn't know the first thing about running an agency. We weren't charging enough. We weren't making any money. And I was like, something's got to change here. We've got to, we've got to change course. So I had been doing a podcast with my buddy for a while. It was a show called Inspiring Awesome. And I realized with that show that anybody that I invited to be on that show said yes. And we were getting leaders of like major nonprofits and people that we had no business talking to would talk to us because we had a podcast. And again, this was 2014, 2015. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. I'd, and I'd started this business. And so now I knew the difference between B2B and B2C and consumer businesses and businesses that sold the companies. And I was like, okay, what if we took this podcasting strategy and in, instead of just asking any Joe Schmo to, to be a guest on the show, what if we designed the show so that our ideal clients would be guests on the show and we could just ask our ideal clients to be a guest on the show, build a relationship with them. And then through that genuine relationship, we we might do business together, we might not. It wasn't intended to be this sleazy sales tactic, where it's like, a, "Oh, gotcha!" Like now you're on the beat phone the call with me, buy my thing. It wasn't a bait and the, the intent wasn't beaten and switch, and and it worked. And so that we started B two B growth in January of 2016, and I started interviewing at the time. It was a bunch of VPs of sales because I thought, well, who better to want to build relationships with their ideal buyers than the VP of sales? We did 150 interviews with VPs of sales before I realized that none of them were interested in in podcast production. So we had pivoted from blog writing into producing these podcasts for B2B companies. We wanted to drink our own champagne, so we started B2B Growth. 150 VPs of sales, they were all like, oh, you should talk to my counterpart in marketing. So finally, uh, 150 episodes in, I'm very dense, so it took me a while, but I finally decided to pivot and go, okay, we're gonna start inviting VPs of marketing to be on B2B growth. And that's really when we started to get traction because those, relationships with VPs of marketing ended up leading us to people going, hey, this podcast thing is interesting. This was right around the time that the show Serial was starting to pop. Mm-hmm. And so that show really put podcasting on the map. And we got to ride that wave of the excitement of all of these people. that are like, oh my gosh, what if our company had a podcast? So we really started the B2B podcast agency or B2B podcasting category. I didn't even know necessarily that's what I was doing at the time. I just had this thought that, hey, this strategy, this tactic of connecting with your ideal buyers for a B2B company could be extremely profitable. You only need one or two of these relationships if you're selling six-figure deals to offset the cost of the entire show. And so we rode that way for several years. And I would say publicly, I didn't care at all about the quality of the content that was being produced. I cared about the relationships that our clients were building with their ideal clients through the show. And so time goes on and we had really, we were really just experiencing the fruit of being the category creator. It was a lot of grinding at the beginning, but once you create the category, I was talking a lot about it on LinkedIn. I think I had got up to, I don't know, 20 something thousand followers on LinkedIn talking about this stuff and was really the only person talking about B2B podcasting. And so I become like the go-to guy for that specific thing. So lots of word of mouth, lots of referrals, and and everything was great until it wasn't. And so we, we rode that wave for multiple years. And then started to see competitors popping up like, oh, they're doing B2B podcasts. So oh, now they're doing B2B podcasts. Oh, now they're doing B2B podcasts. And and some of those people were also really good on LinkedIn. And then we started to realize, uh, oh, the articles that used to rank on Google aren't ranking on Google anymore. <laughs> and, and our competitors are, are now getting that traffic. We started to see the writing on the walls that like, man, we're losing our position here. And at the same time, started to realize that the value of B2B podcasting from our original point of view had evolved and was different. And before you could start a show and rank in Apple podcasts, Spotify wasn't even relevant at the time, but we ranked for the term B2B in Apple podcasts. And so our show grew because of ranking for that specific keyword more and more shows started hitting, that ranking for those keywords began to get harder and harder, we started to realize that these podcast distribution platforms didn't do a great job of distributing your content to new eyes and ears. Mm -hmm. And so as we started looking and going, wait a minute, the way that you actually get in front of new people is social and YouTube. Podcasts is really only for the people that you've already attracted. And then we started seeing that with newsletters specifically, you could acquire first-party data through a newsletter where you can know the age and the sex and the location of someone that subscribed to you on Apple Podcast, or I think Spotify gives you similar data, but you don't have their email. You don't know what company they work for. You can't communicate with them one-to-one directly. And so that's where this idea of a media brand started to take shape that was like, man, before you could grow a good size audience via podcasting. And that's, I've always known, that's what our clients wanted. They didn't, they, they never wanted a podcast. What they wanted was an audience. And so as we were attempting to solve for that, we realized a podcast, just isn't enough anymore. A podcast is a great foundation of a content flywheel. It's a great mechanism to create content that can th- fuel your entire content strategy, but it can't stop there. And so we started developing the nuts and bolts of this strategy that we now call a media brand strategy and started to develop a lot of thinking around this concept that Chet Holmes came up with in his book, Ultimate Sales Machine in 2007, I think is when we first started popularizing the idea. But this idea that 97% of our market is not ready to buy right now only 3% of our market is ready to buy right now. And what we realized is most marketing teams, most marketing agencies focused on that 3%. Everything was very conversion focused, very bottom of the mm-hmm. funnel. It was going after that 3%. Then we went through the economic stuff that we've been going through the last couple of years. And it was like, man, even more, we need to be focused on the 97. Some people say the 99% of your market that's not ready to buy right now, but one day will be. And so that started to shape- what is now our story of? Hey, you have to stop just chasing the three percent. Obviously, you need to do that, but you need to start going after the ninety-seven percent way more aggressively. Our, our point of view is that the way we think you do that is by having your corporate brand that's focused on the three percent. Your company—it's typically the name of your company. So for us, it's Sweetfish, and then you focus your media brand on the ninety-seven percent. So B two B growth for us is focused on all content marketers, not just content marketers that are looking to get into starting a show and figuring out how to distribute it on YouTube and newsletter. But the funny part for us is we've actually focused so much on B2B growth. We focus so much on our media brand. We've neglected our corporate brand work. And that's the opposite for our clients. We find that our clients spend yeah. all of their energy on their corporate brand. And so we come in and get to build a media brand for them. So anyway, that's a very long-winded answer to your question of what's the journey been like. But I've started as a blog writing agency, pivoted into starting the BDB podcast agency category, yeah. evolving now into being an owned media agency where we focus on building media brands and and are focused on these four specific channels of podcast, YouTube, social, newsletters. And that's been the journey. We'll see if the story has evolved even more a year or two from now, but that's where we are today. Well,
1: yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate the the thorough history from where you started to where you are today. And there's a lot to unpack in there. And I want to call out a few things that you experienced and observed, sometimes even intuitively, because I think they're going to be relevant for people listening to this and maybe somewhere along that same journey you started off with this hypothesis that the VP of sales would be the right fit for selling podcast production yep. services. And then you realized that wasn't correct. And I, and it seems like a simple observation now, but this is really key because one of the things that we like to work with people on is not just identifying the problem, but you have to identify a pairing between the, the problem and the population, right? It's, you might have the right insight on one of the two, but if you don't have the pairing, you don't really have a valid category opportunity. And you had this hypothesis that people needed help producing podcasts, which was correct. But your hypothesis on the audience was incorrect at first, yep. and then you and you shifted. But before we move on to another kind of piece of your journey, anything yep. else you can share around like how you've really homed in on who's experiencing the problem the most? You started with yeah, marketers, did you narrow it down further?
2: Yeah, like I said, I'm. I think a lot of people that are much smarter than me would have picked up on it way quicker than I did. But to me, it was the simplicity of just continuing to talk to these people that would say the same, some iteration of the same exact thing over and over again. Which is, "Oh, you should talk to my counterpart in marketing. Mm -hmm. Oh, you guys do this for other companies. You should talk to our marketing leader." And so, by hearing that over and over again in my head, I was like, "No." you're building relationships with your ideal clients. Like you Mm -hmm. should have a show and all of your sales reps should be co-hosts on the show and you should be producing daily content. There's no reason your sales reps should be cold calling when they could be asking someone to be on the industry podcast. Mm -hmm. And and it was so funny because that messaging was really resonating with boots on the ground, individual contributor sales reps, Mm -hmm. but it was not resonating with the 50 year old sales leader that was architecting the go to market motion for their company. And so I was so confused. I was like, all the people that I talked to about this, one that are really early stage entrepreneurs, they get it. They're like, oh my gosh, this is the way, like, how have I not thought about this before? But the people that were in established companies, they were thinking more scale. They didn't understand like how a one-to-one relationship because they they know okay just because they say yes to being a podcast doesn't mean that they're in market for what we do and all we're trying to do is stack these aes with conversations with people that actually want to buy our product so in retrospect now that i understand way more about how sales and marketing works it makes sense why it wasn't resonating with them but at the end of the day had i not made that shift i don't think sweetfish would have ever gotten off the ground i think we would i would have just it would have been another (laughs) Another failed business in a in a big dumpster of other failed businesses that I would have mm-hmm. just chalked up to, all right, another one that didn't work, and and so fortunately it it clicked and and we made that shift and it was so crazy the almost the immediate difference that that it made whenever we were were finally starting to talk to the right people.
1: Yeah, you said someone smarter than you might have figured that out sooner, but that. That may or may not be true. One thing I don't want to overlook is if you've had 150 interviews, it's also easy to just stick with that sunk cost and double down and and assume that there's something there within that initial audience you didn't unpack. So, kudos to you for being willing to give that up and move past that after having gone through all that.
2: Yeah, it was it was not easy. I'm sure. I'm, I'm glad that we did it.
1: Yeah. Another really interesting thing you touched on is what I what we now call a change in context. This is something Dan and Kevin shared with me as part of our, our category formula. And a change in context is anything that's changed in the world that can either introduce the opportunity for a new category and or invalidate an existing one. And it can be anything from a change in cultural values, a change in technology, the economy. And you brought up one that I hadn't really had on my radar before, which is a change in like what people are, the mediums people are going to for entertainment. You talked about serial and that really, how that put podcasting on the map. It had been on the map for a while, but it elevated it to a whole level of public consciousness that was not there before. And that insight was really interesting because it's, I'm curious, like if serial hadn't really come out, how would that have, how do you think that might've changed the interest and awareness for maybe for what you're doing at Sweetfish.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because it was the catalyst for other shows like it that had mass appeal, that were narrative, that were really interesting. I think a lot of people that consumed podcasts before, they were either members of a church because every church had a podcast. If you missed service, you could listen to your pastor's podcast the week after. So obviously, like very tiny sliver of America that was consuming podcasts that way. I think you had like your ultra nerd type, like very niche topics where it's like, they don't have this on the radio. I think some, I think there were some, a presence of like really big local sports talk type shows, guys that didn't necessarily have a spot on the radio, but they were really sharp on their team. And so if you wanted to hear everything inside baseball and the Eagles, you would listen to this show. But I think that was even less in the mix. So it was serial that brought this new format that was like this crime podcast that was just fascinated America and big media outlets were covering it. And so it was driving a ton of net new ears to this medium that previously had never experienced it. And once they got there, they realized that there was this whole plethora of niche media that they could dive into. And so it was that show then became a catalyst for other people going, okay, that worked. There was, there's actually money to be made in this space because you heard those MailChimp ads on Mm -hmm. serial over and over again. You're like, okay, if MailChimp's paying for this, then obviously there's some value to be had here. That And then it was a start of the ripple effect. Had that show, I, I, I think if that show hadn't existed, there would have eventually come a show that would mm-hmm. have done that because the medium makes too much sense. It's like radio, but without ads and way more niche. And people right. have been listening to radio for God knows how long. And so I think eventually there would have been a show that did it. It just happened to be that Serial, I think, was seemed to be the catalyst for right. it. And I wonder too how much MailChimp being the sponsor of that, a SaaS company, really helped us because we were focused on these companies that were SaaS companies. We just I I intuitively thought SaaS companies are going to be way more progressive in the way that they do marketing. They're going to be way more forward thinking in the way they do marketing than say manufacturers or <clears throat> service providers or healthcare, the slew of other niches that we could have pursued. We I had already intuitively knew that SaaS companies were going to be the first to adopt this. And then with MailChimp being the sponsor of that show, I think it just, it reinforced like, okay, there, there are companies spending real dollars on this medium. And so that was another hurdle because it was like, hey, sure, you could go sponsor a bunch of big shows, but you really want to have the audience yourself and so mm-hmm. we were trying to tell that narrative. there we've been trying to basically preach owned media long before we were positioning ourselves as an owned media agency um, right. because we knew that like you being the creator of the content and having that authority and being that influence in your buyer's life is far more powerful than just being a loud voice on okay. <laughs> on your market's favorite show that you don't own that they have to skip through
1: on that note, let's unpack the change in context a little further because I'm curious what was happening in the B2B marketing space, the B2B selling space to where the need for building relationships increased to the point where someone would invest in a podcast and a show that would allow them to do that. What Was there something that was working previously that stopped working and now this was a new way that buyers wanted to engage and, and build relationships or what, what were you seeing there?
2: Yeah. I think at this time, so this would have been 2016, 2017. At this time, I think we are starting to see the writing on the wall that the Aaron Ross predictable revenue playbook Mm -hmm. was not going to last forever. That just hiring an army of SDRs and having them drill your market with cold outbound. Mm -hmm. I think you're starting to see the restriction of Google letting your email even get into inboxes. That was start that we were on the front end of that transformation. Mm. And it's also ironically around the same time that VaynerMedia was really taking off in terms of being like the go-to social media agency and he went and disrupted a whole slew of traditional advertising giants by focusing on social first. And he obviously built a prolific personal brand and was preaching that a lot of those things were coming and we benefited greatly from that.
1: Yeah. What you shared reminds me of one of my favorite myths to try to dispel when I talk to folks. And the myth is that using category design as your lens for business strategy really is only suited to VC backed companies or a company with a large war chest. Mm. And that if you're a solopreneur or if you're self funded, bootstrapped, this isn't really something that applies to you. And of course, none of those things are true because I almost everybody we interview on this podcast is an early stage founder who's found tremendous leverage from using category design as their lens. You didn't uh, have outside investment yet you put, and you didn't have, you didn't have a large audience going into this either. It's not like you were a huge personality with a hundred thousand followers or a a massive email list or anything like that. Yet you were able to build a new space and really dominate that space by understanding the problem, being there at the right time. And then you talked about earlier, you didn't have the perfect solution, but you had a solution that was good enough to where the market almost pulled it out of you. And even if there were some shortcomings in it, it was still good enough to address the problem they were experiencing. So just tell me more about that, like your journey, building something new as really a self-funded enterprise.
2: Yeah, it was, it was challenging to, I hear a lot of people talk about how it costs a lot of money we're working with. We're working with a fractional CMO right now. And as we've been going back and forth on, okay, do we want to build another category It can be really expensive? And I don't know that I necessarily agree that it's really, that it can be really expensive because like you said, we've done it before and we did it in a way that a bootstrap service provider could afford it, but it did take a lot of time. And so it was me showing up on LinkedIn every single day, talking about some facet of this one-on-one, you know, DMs doing B2B growth dinners across the country, talking about this stuff, writing a book that's on my shelf right now about this concept that we ended up naming content-based networking, this idea of content collaboration being uh, a really good way to do new business and to grow your business. And was it, we didn't need to raise a treasure chest of money to be able to do these things, but it was a lot of activity over a sustain, a, a good amount of time before. And it, it, it's hard to say, oh, this was the point where we won the market and we mm-hmm. were the kings of the category. It just we looked up one day and we were like, man, this is like doing business on easy mode. And I would go to these, I, I would go to these retreats and masterminds with other. Agency owners that weren't seeing a fraction of the traction that we were seeing because they were they were a digital marketing, they do digital marketing for everybody. And I'm like, oh (laughs) like we were very focused on who we helped SaaS companies, and we were very focused on really a double niche, like B2B, and we only did podcasting. And because of that hyper focus, it allowed us to outperform, at least the peers that I was around there, you're always going to get in a room at some point where people are making you feel like the, oh my God, what are we doing wrong? Because th- these guys are crushing it. But right. it just felt like in a lot of the rooms that I went to, we were experiencing traction that very few others were experiencing. And, and so yeah, the experience of that was invigorating. And unfortunately, like I was mentioning before, it's just really easy to rest on your laurels and to sit back and go, man, we've got this dialed in, we're good. And and we stopped focusing on making the service better. We stopped focus on focusing on really optimizing for the client's result. And when we shifted back to doing that uh, close to a year ago now and saying, okay, anybody can go and build relationships through their show. You don't need a production agency to produce your show for you to invite ideal clients <laughs> to be a guest and that kind of change in mindset made us go okay so if you don't need an agency to do that what do you need an agency for and that's when we realized that these companies that we'd been helping these bdb brands they were very focused on the 3% like i mentioned before mm-hmm. and when you're so focused on the 3% you're only talking about the benefits of your product you're wanting everything to tie back to your uh, t- to the thing that makes you money and people can smell that from a mile away. And so we were like, okay, the value that we can add is creating content that's gonna be attractive to the 97% and really being an advocate for our client's audience or their desired audience and being the partner for them that can say, hey, no, we're not gonna cover that topic because it's way too close to what you do. Let your marketing mm-hmm. team handle that. We're gonna talk about this thing that's a trending idea in your industry that everybody at every conference is talking about, that your point of view, your thoughts, your two cents needs to be injected into the conversation from your perspective, not by just talking about your product, but you just need to lead with your thoughts. And so we had all these clients that were saying, we want thought leadership, Mm -hmm. but the solution that we had built before was this interview-based podcast because we were like, hey, you got to interview your ideal clients. And we're like, but that doesn't mix well. If every single episode of your show is just you interviewing someone else, you have to be really freaking talented to weave in your own thought leadership into a conversation that is meant and designed to be about someone else. Right. And so that was another aha for us that was like, we have to start telling our clients to stop just doing interviews. If your goal is thought leadership and to build authority in the space, You need to actually be leading with thoughts, which means you need to do a lot more work in pre-production, meaning we need to do a lot more work in pre-production. Our team, the value we can bring to you is to say, hey, we've been scoping out what the industry is talking about, what the trends are, what conversations you need to be having and, and controlling, and these are it let's batch record some episodes of your host talking and riffing about these things. And and so that's been a really big unlock for us because it it seems very, I've got a lot of flack for, I think I had Dave Gearhart comment on one of my posts and I was like, interview-based podcasts aren't good enough unless your name's huh. Joe Rogan. And DG piped in and was like, oh, it seems to be working pretty well for me. And I'm like, it's interesting, DG, because it's working for you because you got famous doing it the way i'm talking about it like when uh-huh. you did seeking wisdom with dave cancel it was just you and dave you guys rarely brought guests on mm-hmm. the thing that made him famous is the thing that he was <laughs> basically saying it's yeah now if elon musk started an interview base show you you bet your tail feathers that everybody and their mom would be listening to it and that's so anyway all, all that to say shifting that from, hey, we used to be advocates for interview-based podcasts. We really created this game in the B2B space mm-hmm. to now, hey, we got to be way more thoughtful about the kind of content we're creating. Yeah. And, and if your goal is thought leadership, yeah, actually need to lead with thoughts. And that's much easier to do without a guest.
1: Yeah. You hit upon a really important insight for anyone who's thinking about leading and and evolving a category. And it's that it's this process isn't like a one and done exercise. Even once you've dominated your category, you're not done. Just, you wouldn't ever say someone, you can do your business strategy once, and then really you don't need to worry about it again, just run the business, that sounds silly. But in category design, because it's a lens for your business strategy, it's the same thing. You can't really stop thinking about what your category looks like today. Is it a viable category? Is the category increasing or decreasing in relevance? Is your own position, is your own design, your solution continue to be the right one? And you talked about like competitors coming in and starting to commoditize the initial service that you dominated. And then yep. you also mentioned that some of the problem you were solving of trying to build relationships didn't necessarily require an agency. Yeah. And it sounds like you recognize that a little later than you would have liked, but yep. now you, that you have, you're continuing to think through this and evolve and try to put yourself back in a position where you're leading the way instead of just coasting on something you did a few years ago yep
2: Yep. Yep. you're exactly right and i I think about with this with iconic brands uh, i'm in orlando and tupperware is based here Mm -hmm. and they've been in the news lately because they're about to file bankruptcy tupperware Mm -hmm. is not doing well and i was talking with one of our producers the other day and it was just like man they rested on their laurels they were the category kings of refrigerator storage mm-hmm. and leftover storage. And they didn't iterate. They didn't evolve. Fortunately, their product's really good. <laughs> and so <laughs> you don't need to keep buying leftover storage. And But we were talking about what other spaces that were adjacent could they have gotten into? Could they have gotten into like kitchen appliances? Could they have become like the kitchen brand mm-hmm. and started manufacturing refrigerators or ovens or microwaves? And I t- <laughs> still think they can. And trying to apply that type of thinking, obviously, we're not even close to being on the level of a Tupperware, but in our space, okay, what, what had we developed a lot of competencies in? And podcasting obviously was there, and we had built a team of writers to repurpose a lot of the content we were doing into blog posts. And so it was like, okay, this talent can be pretty easily shifted into newsletter writing and, and then YouTube and social, we went out and found somebody that had built an audience of 400,000 people on social. And, and so we had him become our creative director. We're now pursuing a guy that's taken a channel from a million and a half to four and a half million subscribers on YouTube. And so we're augmenting the talent. We're shifting talent where We think it needs to be shifted. We're adding new talent where we think we need to bone up to be able to really be a player in this space. And the vision is becoming clearer and clearer that, man, we can actually do this. Before it was, can we Mm -hmm. do this? Now it's, we can actually do this. You get the right people in the right seats. And and it's different because we're a service business. So it's very contingent on having the right people. With software companies, it's a little bit different because the product is, is digital in nature, but I still think right people, right seat is a huge piece of it regardless. But but yeah, it's a little deflating what you just said of, oh, God, we're going to figure out this own media agency thing. We'll become the kings of owned media agencies. And then three or four years down the road, <laughs> because it works, obviously it's going to attract competitors and we're going to have to right. you know, continue to evolve. That can be really disheartening but that's the game and i that's think that's the game right the world's always and, changing you yeah, can't expect and, and it and to I put on in you. that like i have loved these last this last year of breaking what we were doing and rebuilding something that that we think is really an optimal solution for our clients and it's been a forcing function for us to look at some of the people on our team and go you're, you're kicking and screaming through this change this probably isn't the right place for you to the point where we actually changed our core value from love people. Well, which was being very misconstrued Mm
1: -hmm. anytime
2: we didn't do anything that somebody said they were, it was, Oh, you're not loving me. Love means different things to different people. And we had to, we changed love people well to lead the change because we Mm -hmm. knew that change was going to be a constant in this business. Uh, We play in the media space. And so in, in of any space to play in, that was the space where it was like, Hey, if you're going to, if you're going to come and work here, you've got to be accustomed, like you've got to not just be okay with change. You've got to be willing to lead it. So it's crazy how this, I'd never even really thought about the correlation between category design and constantly evolving the business. I'd never articulated it that way, but it it's made a substantive impact on, on our business, on our culture, on a lot of facets of what we do.
1: Thanks for sharing so much about the the journey and just unpacking what's worked, what didn't work for you, and being very honest and open about your own path as an entrepreneur and as a business leader. Thanks again, man. We'll have to do this again in a year or two and catch up.
2: Let's do it again. I love what you guys are building with Category Thinkers. It's uh, going to continue to blow up. So keep doing it, man. All right. Thanks,
0: man. There you go. Another conversation designed to help you think like a category designer. Please support our sponsors, categorydesignadvisors.com and be the stage.live, because they're the ones putting the bill for this thing so you can enjoy it. But more than anything, we'd love to hear from you, uh, whether it's in our community or you could leave us a review for this podcast if you're enjoying this thing. Subscribe to it. Hit five stars. Let us know what you think. We can really, really use that. And don't forget, stop just listening to this thing. Join the conversation. By going to CategoryThinkers.com, joining the free Slack community, and come meet the other 500 plus category designers just like you. See you in there.